morning, church. Have you been enjoying worship so far? Yes, yeah, you can do that. We are uh, working our way to the to the close of the of the book that we've been talking through. We've been working in Romans. We've been talking about uh, about it in general. We haven't been able to do the one year crawl through the book of Romans that is sometimes done. Um, I don't know that I can hold my own attention that long. So <clears throat> because of your pastor's short attention span, we've moved a little quicker. We're going to pick up a little bit from where Pastor Tim left off last week and go through chapter 13. So if you open your Bibles to Romans 12 and 13, you'll find yourself in most of the places we'll talk about today. There will be one small excursion. I promise not to take more than 20 or 30 minutes on that excursion. But in Romans chapter 12, verse 13, this morning we're talking about the Lord's leadership in these last times and specifically to live like the clock is ticking. Now, I was thinking about that. How many of you still have clocks that tick? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So, so a, a number of you still have clocks that tick. So clocks ticking has not entirely disappeared from the world. Well, praise the Lord for that. I, but I want to talk about living like the clock is ticking, like time is running down, like time is running out. And yeah, we, we, uh, as Adventists, we like to talk about the end of time. We like to talk about the apocalyptic nature of that final moment. We, we like to, to kind of try to express and explain all the steps between here and there. I'm not going to do any of that today. I just want to talk about what it means to live like the clock is ticking. What does it mean to live in a manner that represents our awareness That the clock is ticking. Now, I am now older than I ever have been before, if I can quote Mike Rowe, in church. And in that reality, I have become more aware of the fact that I am living as the clock ticks away. That as I, uh, as I mature, I am coming to the reality that that maturity marks me one day closer to meeting Jesus. Now, I didn't think about that when I was 25. Not much at all. But now on this side of that 25 mark, I've started to think about it more. The Apostle Paul, and I believe every member of the church in the first century, believed that they would meet Jesus before they died. There was a full expectation in the first century church that Jesus' return would in fact happen in their lifetime. Now, I do recall when I was about 18, I actually was still 17 when this was going on, I was getting ready to go off to college, and I can remember having, a, a, a process, having to process something in my mind that I was concerned about. I was pretty sure that Jesus was going to come before I could finish college. And in that knowledge, I wondered if going to college was the right thing to do. Should I go off and do this thing? It's going to take four years to complete, and Jesus might be here by the time I get done. Well, a few years have passed since then. 
it's been a little while since I graduated from college. And he's not here. Now, honestly, I am disappointed to not be in a place where there is no sin, no sorrow, no death. But I have enjoyed the 40 plus years since I left college. I have enjoyed having children and now grandchildren and a wife. I've enjoyed all of those things. So I don't know. I'm caught between the two right now. I know that the clock is ticking. But while the clock keeps ticking, I want to keep living. Are you with me there? So as we, as we start to move through this, I want to talk, take you to, to chapter 13, verse 11. This is going to be a key passage for us today. Chapter 13, verse 11 says, Do this because you know that the time, you, uh, because you know the time, that now is the time to wake up because our salvation is nearer now that when that should be then when we first believed. Is that true? Is it true now? And now? And now? With each passing tick of the clock, it's actually more true, correct? So if the Apostle Paul could say when he's living way back in the first century, if he can, he can argue with that the church should be aware and live in a manner that represents their knowledge of the time and that they are now closer than they ever have been to their, to their salvation. You got it? Whether you're 10 or 110, this is true. And each moment, it's more true. With me so far? Okay, hold on to this one, so don't let this one go. Since you know the time, since you're aware that the clock is ticking, there's a way to face that. There's a way to do your life. There's a way to go about things that God is calling you to. There's the, the this, the do this piece. Do this. Well, we're going to have to back up and look at where the, this comes from. But, I, but notice that there's a call. Do this thing. Behave like this. Act like this because you know what time it is. Because you know Jesus is coming. Because you know you're closer now to Jesus than you were 10 minutes ago. Got it? Good. People in the front row got it. So here's verse, chapter 13, verse 8, which we heard this morning. Thank you very much for standing in, Brennan. If you go back to verse 8 of the same chapter, you find Paul making this statement. It's really two things he's saying. Owe no one anything. Stop there. Paul is saying to the early church, Jesus is coming, pay off your debts. Okay, there's a Dave Ramsey, Ramsey program for this, if you'd like to know. He's saying, owe no one anything. Get, out, get that all cleared up. In a time when the church is illegal, it's especially important for the church, not the church member, not to be indebted or beholden to anyone. And the church was illegal at that time. And so he's saying, hey, man, you guys need to consider this as you're going about your life. So one of the ways that he first states to live, this is one of the things he states. It's not actually the first. Owe no one anything and ex- with one exception. That exception is that you commit yourself to loving them. Owe no one anything except to love one another. What is the debt we are to hang on to all the way until the skies part and Jesus shows up? To love one another. 
And this one another is not just the person right next to us. It's not just the people in the church. This is everybody's one another's. This is one another on the planet. This is the faces we come in contact with. This is the eyes we look into. This is the call of God to represent him by sharing his love with others. Make sense? Could you do it? How are you doing at it? How about the neighbors? How about your brother-in-law? How about how about that cousin who's just always irritating? That they seem to have taken a course on being irritating at some point in their life, and they got an A in it, and so they're staying right on that track? How about that person? You doing okay with them? He says, don't, don't go about any of this. Don't get yourself caught up in any of this, any of the debt of the world, but be indebted to everyone to be loving. I love that Marlene talked about kindness this morning because that's one of the anchor thing, the anchor parts of being loving. She challenged the children to be more kind. We could take that children's story to heart, couldn't we? I want to take you back to John chapter 3. Why do you owe a debt to God to love one another? Because you couldn't owe a debt of love without somebody calling that debt, right? So why do you owe the debt to God? It's back there in John chapter 3. But have you ever noticed this text? Have you looked at this text carefully? This text gets plastered everywhere and we don't read it. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What's the first word? Because. Some of your Bibles will say for. For God so loved the world. Do you know why it says for? Do you know why it says because? He had just said to Nicodemus, the son of man must be raised up like the serpent that was raised in the desert. Because God loves the world. Crucifixion is what's being discussed. And this passage is a reflection on why the crucifixion. This passage is saying, Jesus must die because God loves the world. Because God loves you and I, Jesus has to die. And what I want you to, what I want you to get from this is it all came from the same motivation. The motivation to create you was love. The motivation to die for you was love. The motivation to resurrect you and take you home is love. The motivation to live with you for all eternity is love. And therefore, therefore, he argues, Paul argues that we owe a debt of love to everyone around us because we have been shown such amazing love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in that son will have everlasting life. Because of the love of God, 
because of the love of God. Because we have been blessed with the love of God. We are called to owe that debt to one another. Got it? Okay. Bits and pieces. Now I'm going to take you to Revelation to, to chapter 12 because this is, this is where the argument got started. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Ever do fake love? Ever do pretend kindness? He is actually saying, look at them the way God looks at them. See them as God sees them. Understand them as God understands them. And when you feel like reacting with a harsh tone, try to think about how Jesus would do it. Now, there are times when people have been fired out of love. It's true. Um, This is not permission. That should be done prayerfully. But I do want you to understand that if love is not motivating it, Paul's arguing don't do it. If love is not motivating it, don't do it. So I want to... uh, I want to read to you a little bit. Now, you've probably all read, and some of you have memorized, 1 Corinthians 13. This is the other place where love is described in depth. It's right here, near the end of chapter 12. Verse 9 was where we're going to pick up. And I'm going to, it's what we just read. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly and affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging, lacking, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, be given to hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be the same mind. Be of the same mind towards another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible... As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head lovingly I need to stop here because every, we, you, we get a bad image of this yes it does say it will be warm but also recognizes one of the primary places a person would carry their fire from one place to another was in a, a leather cap that they could wear on their hat as a hat coals of fire 
might be you sharing your coals with them to start their fire. So don't just think I've poured burning hot coals on top of this guy and his head is going. You may simply be sharing the coals of your fire with them. I just had to stop because I just had this image, but it needed to be cleared up. Do not overcome. Do not be overcome by evil. But overcome evil with good. Now I want you to go to the first words. Do this. Because you know the time. Practice this. Because you know what time it is. You know that now we are closer than we have ever been to the end. Love. Love like that. That's a pretty high call, isn't it? I think if we memorize this passage, it would be helpful to us. I think it would be helpful for my driving. I think it might be helpful for you at work. It might help you when you're talking to your children or to your spouse. It might help when your neighbor comes over or when they don't. It might help when something's going bad in your day and that person shows up again. I think if we could remember this challenge, because we know it's the end, Remember that we owe love to everyone around us because we are so loved. You know what time it is. So love. Love one another. Love each other. Love those who are not great loving at loving. You notice the list has all that in it. Do not return evil for evil. Overcome evil with good. And this is what the church did. From the time that Paul is writing this, from the time that Jesus first said that the summary of the whole of the, of the commands was to love God and love your neighbor, it took 300 years, but the church turned their culture's understanding of, of the value of humanity over that 300 years. Christianity turned the culture's understanding of the value of the individual during that 300 years. And it eroded the anger and the violence that was at the heart of Rome to the point that Rome began to make the turn to become what we know as the first world. That Christianity got such a solid foot, such a strong standing, that Rome changed the way it taught, treated people. Why? Because they overcame evil with good. Knowing the time, live like this. You know, the, the biblical callings on our life are so extreme that it's really hard sometimes to imagine ourselves even in them. But could you indulge me that imagination this morning? Could you, could you indulge me the imagination that allows you to see yourself Loving everybody. See yourself. Imagine the person you're having a hard time with. Okay, this is you on this hand. This is the person you're having a hard time with. I know they come immediately to your mind, right? Now imagine yourself loving them like Jesus does. 
Now you know what time it is. You know the time is ticking away. You know the clock is running. You know there's a tick-tock that keeps going all the way till Jesus comes. Now that you understand, now you simply, since you know what time it is, live like this. It's been 2,000 years. Anybody feeling like it should be done? We are 2,000 years closer to the last day than Paul was. We are a lot nearer the end than he was. If any generation should be called to live like this, it's ours. It's the call. It's the challenge. And so, Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And if you wonder what law I read the previous verses, he goes right through the commandments. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. I think I could preach keep the Sabbath better and you would not look so stressed as you look right now. Because we know all how far we are from this measure. It's not bad to know. It's bad to do nothing about it. I think the knowledge of it is a good thing. And if that person came to your mind, you know what you do next? You step forward in love into their life. And so, owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the whole law. The last thing I want to tell you is that to remind you that this was a divided church that he was talking to. There were the Jewish people in the church who were challenging the new believers to come closer to Judaism, to begin to keep the rules that Moses had taught them, to keep the, 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 the celebrated holidays each year, to make sure that they're, they're keeping the Passover, they're keeping the Day of Atonement, make sure that they're doing those things, to make sure that they're being circumcised or at least circumcising their children, to make sure that they fit within the, 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 the definitions of what church had always been to them. And that church, that whole group, remember, that whole group got sent out. Had, we were forced to leave Rome by Claudius. And during their absence, a whole bunch of new people came in. A bunch of non-Jewish people came in. A bunch of people who were pagans before, who worshipped who knows what and for why. And now Paul has seen the the renewal of this church, the reunion of those two halves together again. And now you have this group who said, this is the way church should be done. And this new group who says, we've never done church like that. And as the two of them come together, there's friction. So Paul is saying, owe one another nothing but love. Because you were so loved. 
Whether you were a Jew or a Gentile, you knew that Christ died for you. Whether you've been a Seventh-day Adventist for 10 generations, I don't even know if that's possible, not long enough. Or whether you just arrived. We know that it is only because of Jesus that a resurrection is possible for us. And Paul calls them to a level of discipleship that is, that is anchored in love and let, lets love define all the other behaviors. If you owe nothing to anyone but love, if you love them, you have fulfilled the requirements of the law. And so the Jewish church could take a breath. And the Christian, the Gentile church could take a breath. And then everybody could realize the bar just got set a lot higher than what it was yesterday. I want you to see Paul's challenge to them as his challenge to you. That we are not We are not supposed to say, since we know what time it is, I have this chart. Since we know what time it is, we should study Daniel and Revelation. Now, I agree that we should be studying Daniel and Revelation, and we should be trying to understand what happened. But if we don't say because we know what time it is, we should love, none of the rest of it matters. We could teach people perfectly how to understand Revelation. And if they missed Jesus, and if they missed that call to love their neighbor, we've done them no good. All we've given them was an education. An education without Jesus is useless. If we can live in a world angry and frustrated and mad at everybody who's walking around us without the call of Christ on our heart to be better, to walk more closely to Him, to imitate Him better, to love our neighbor. If we can live in a world without that call on our heart, I have to question where we're headed when that call finally stops getting heard. Because He challenged us to live differently in our broken world in a manner that changes it. Let's pray. Father God, there are uh, many, many requests of me in the Bible. This one's the hardest. There's no question that that you were motivated by love and all the steps you took and still are. I pray for the pastor to learn to love better. As I pray for the church to learn to love better. May we ask about every conflict, every argument, 
Lord, we will lovingly walk through them. May we ask about the hard days and the good days, how we might reflect the love of Jesus. Amen. I pray in Jesus' name.
I'm glad you've decided to play for us today before the two of you older ones leave for college and we don't have this for a few months. We appreciate you so much. We appreciate all the hours of practice that that meant. And we appreciate how much your mom and dad had to twist your arms to keep you practicing all those years. Wishing you guys blessings this week as you go from here. A reminder that we have our, our dis- Sabbath school classes beginning immediately after this. Um, classroom one will be our young adults class. Classroom two is the new class, um, Hearing God's Voice. It has a few more spaces, so if you'd like to check it out, this would be a good day to step in. Check it out. Um, they have, I believe, five or six more places to, that you can take up in that class. Um, it is a good, if you haven't already done it, spiritual discipline to learn to listen for the voice of God. And that class will help you with that. Um, we have our quarterly class back there in classroom three. Um, well, Alan, what's your class on? What's Alan's class on? Someone help me out. Book of Mark, is it? Yes, it's Book of Mark back there in the North Hall. Um, second look class will be here. Men's classes across all the way through both buildings till you get almost to the parking lot again, and then you're in men's class if you're not in the kitchen. If you're in the kitchen, turn right. <coughs> You'll find the men's class. Our uh, class that is that is designed to help you if you're a parent be on the same page with your children's cl- children's study groups is down the hall. So through those doors, as you approach the hall in the second foyer, go all the way to the end. On the left hand side will be the answers and Bible curriculum class right on the last class before you hit the T intersection. Got all that? If you don't ask someone in the foyer, they'll probably help you find your way. Would you pray with me as we close? Lord, we are grateful that you challenge us. Sometimes it's a little scary. But I pray that you will continually speak to us. May the Holy Spirit fall so heavily onto us, so completely in our lives over the, the, the days ahead that we will be constantly reminded that we owe a debt to everyone we see. To love them because you so loved us that you chose death rather than for us to miss out on heaven. Thank you. Amen.